So if you um, haven't been here the past couple weeks, uh, we have been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. My name is John. And let me make sure I have control of this. Hey. Um, we're talking this morning about gentleness. And I know I do this every time I share, but what time do the kids come back? 25. 25. Although, okay, let's take a break. Let's take a break. <laughs> Uh, so this is about gentleness. I realized last night when I was practicing it that uh, I didn't use the word gentleness all throughout it, but this is about gentleness. This is my reflection on gentleness. Um, and I'm going to ask you right now, you don't have to move your chair or get up or talk, but you're going to have in a couple minutes to choose a partner. So maybe just wink at someone or point to someone and know that that the two or three people around you are gonna um, gonna talk in a minute. And I'll, I guess I'll give you kind of the punchline, so to speak, at the beginning, but uh, we don't live in a gentle world. I don't know if you've realized this. Um, our world is in a constant state of violence, it seems, and I believe that's because we are afraid and we have bought into this uh, story of scarcity, that there's not enough for everyone. And so we lash out at each other and fight with one another. And countries fight with other countries. And, and the, the reverse side of that is that our job as Christians is to go out into the world and tell people about the abundance of God that is at this table. I, um, someone had told me, we're going to ask you to speak on the fruit of the Spirit, and I, I was like, okay, that, you know, that'll be good, and I'll look forward to that, and then I got the email, and I, I, and I, my immediate thought was like, I wonder what they're going to, which one they gave me. <laughs> Let's see how people think of me. <laughs> uh, and I scrolled down and down and down and down, and it said gentleness, and I replied, no. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to talk about gentleness. Uh, and, and what popped into my head immediately when I saw that I was going to speak on gentleness is my favorite movie. You may have seen this movie. It's from 2006, and it's called Children of Men. Has anyone seen this movie? Wow, that's not very many people. Okay, dim the lights, put the movie on. <laughs> uh, Children of Men takes place in a not-too-distant future, and... Um, there are, it's a world it's, it, where there are um, environmental disasters and refugee crises and various fascist governments have taken over. Um, people live in a state of fear uh, and um, constant surveillance. And at the heart of the movie, what the, the sort of the main plot point is that a child hasn't been born on earth in 18 years. And we think about how a world without children is a world without hope. And um, in the middle of the movie, the woman, Key, uh, becomes pregnant. And so all these warring factions are after this child. They want to call, name it their own because then they have the future. They have the power and the hope. Um, it was released on December 25th of either 2005 or 2006. So it is this strange science fiction Christmas message of hope and of a child that's come to save the world, and so that's the reason it's my favorite movie. I just think it's really uh, beautiful, ultimately. 
It's also my friend Daryl's favorite movie, and we have this joke that's not that funny, but it's funny to us because it's easier than crying. It's easier to laugh than to cry, where we will send each other news stories and put hashtag children of men. Like the world is looking more and more like children of men every day. And so, you know, I think about, I was reading the New York Times this weekend about how um, tactical ICE teams are moving into sanctuary cities. That's a story that I would send Daryl and say, children of men. Or, um, uh, you know, there's obviously this housing crisis in California, especially in L.A., and the Olympics coming are actually making it worse because um, landlords are trying to move people out of apartments so they can build hotels, and they're trying to push people out of the city, the homeless out of the city, and it's making police respond more violently to the homeless crisis, and it's really scary. And some of you work on Skid Row, and so you, you probably already know that. If you'd asked me five years ago to talk about gentleness, I probably would have given a sermon on Christian pacifism in some way, but if I'm going to be honest and vulnerable, I'm not there right now, and I um, can't do that. Um, and so this is all in my mind when I replied, no, Josh, I can't talk about gentleness. I don't feel gentle. The world is not gentle. I'm not in a gentle place. I feel angsty and angry and frustrated. I can't do it. And then Josh responded with the joshiest thing that could ever be joshed. <laughs> he said, if you don't feel gentle, that's okay. Just don't talk about yourself. And Josh is probably the only person that could say that to me, and I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. Everybody else would have been like, what? So a little bit about me. I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher at Pioneer High School. I teach um, in a special education program, and I, um, I teach uh, history, social studies to, in those programs. I'm going to talk a little bit about some of my social studies lessons and how they relate to this um, today. Um, I love my job. I, I just love being a teacher. It's so fun. The only job I ever liked more than being a teacher was washing dishes at APU. For some reason, I just thought it was the best, and it was great. We just, I got excited about going to work, and I get excited about going to teach. Um, so I'm going to put up, on the first day of school, this is the lesson I do every year. And I'm going to put up a list of random things. There it is. And this is where I'm going to ask you to turn to your partner or your neighbor and I want you to, with your partner, think about this scenario. You and your partner are on a boat, and the boat is sinking. You don't know exactly where you are. You look off into the distance and you notice an island, and the only thing you know about that island is that it's uninhabited, there's no utilities, there's no shelter there, it's just a deserted kind of jungle island, like Castaway or Gilligan or whatever. And so you and your partner have like five minutes before the boat is gone, and you have to grab three things off this list. I include Metallica's first three albums because I got to find out where the metalheads are the first day of school, <laughs> and uh, you know who I want to hang out with at lunch for the year. 
Um, so you and your partner have to decide three things you're gonna, you're gonna grab and you gotta rank them. This is, this is our first day lesson and I'll explain that in a second. But for now, take like, you said 25. So take the next 20 minutes. No, no. <laughs> take like three or four minutes and just talk to your partner and, and what three things are you gonna take with you? Yes, Jason. Yeah. No, you three total. Yes. Yes. You will make it to the shore safely. These students are always in the class. Yeah, you make it to the shore safely. You're, these are the three things you're going to have to have on the island for an indefinite amount of time. So go ahead, turn to your partner and discuss for like three minutes. All right, that was three minutes. I want to hear some thoughts. What, what did you guys talk about? Anyone want to share? Yes. Duct tape. Yeah. That's it. You can make anything out yeah. of it. Uh-huh. Make things to catch water. Uh-huh. Make clothes, hats. I mean, make it really all <laughs> Just duct tape. So that's number one. That's amazing. Okay. Did your group disagree at all? Or did they just... It wasn't a hard disagree, but I don't think we were quite as fervent. Okay. All right. Cool. Good work happening. Anyone else? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. Deborah. Okay. Okay. Naomi, I'm just calling you. Scurvy. Jason? Yeah. Yeah. Potatoes, you can regrow. Ari? Okay. Okay. Gabe? Awesome, yeah, yeah. Cool. Part two of this message to be delivered by Gabe. Uh, some of you in the room may already know this answer, but where did I get this from? Anyone know where I got this or guess where I got this from? Huh? Uh, I already have those. Uh, I got, uh, this was the first assignment that Laura and I were given at marriage counseling 
when we were, got engaged. We went to a counselor and he gave us this. And I remember sitting at the Blue Danube Cafe in San Francisco and arguing over items. I think we had to choose seven and we had to rank them and we took it seriously and we did have arguments about it. Uh, my students argue about this and it's interesting to see which one, which, which of my students know that you can regrow potatoes uh, just by cutting them up or who knows that a magnifying glass can help to light a fire. Um, yeah, it's always, a, it's always a fun activity for the first day of school. And then I explain to them why I do it. Well, built into this is obviously conflict, right? They're gonna, we're gonna argue over what's best, what's the best option for us. Um, I tell them as a history, in a history class, it's not, there will be tests where you have to get the right answer. Um, and, and you know, you have to choose the best answer, but I tell them what's more important for me in a history class is that they learn how to talk with one another and disagree with one another. Um, uh, I expect them to, to have conflict in class and listen to one another, and, and th that's all more important to me than knowing who was at the Battle of Stalingrad, whatever. And so we talk you know, on the, fir the first week of, of school about how to listen to each other, how to um, disagree with one another, how to debate. Also built into this is, is the problem of scarcity. We don't have unlimited time. We don't have unlimited materials. We don't have uh, you know, an unlimited amount of these things. And they have to discuss what they're going to do. And so it ties into sort of where I started with this, that our world is in a constant state of violence, a constant state of conflict, because too many people believe messages of fear and scarcity. And our job as Christians is to testify to the world the abundance that is revealed by God at this table through Jesus. My friends will, will ask me from time to time why I go to church. And I ask myself from time to time, why do I go to church? And the number one reason we've talked about here at Mount Sinai is we come to church to worship God. And that, that to, to my friends who haven't gone to church, that might sound kind of like a pious answer or, or maybe a little too lofty for them to understand. So, so uh, kind of if this was like a pyramid, the next level down is we come here and we talk about the teachings of Jesus. And we, we live in communi community together and we practice life together. This is a picture that used to be in the basement when we, um, when we met in the basement. This is also, you know, for my friends, I don't know a lot of my friends who are involved in a group of people who purposefully get together regularly to talk about things like money and violence and self-care and immigration and the housing crisis, how to properly butcher a chicken, right? All these things that Mountainside talks about from, from time to time. Gardening, um, so these are important things that I think the world needs to be talking about, and a lot of people don't have that. They don't, they don't have that place to come and, and, and talk about these serious issues. Um, no, Siri. Children, children of men. 
the other thing about church is that we come here and we practice conflict with one another, which is uh, strange and hard and awkward sometimes. My dad uh, was a pastor my whole life, and he, he, this was his favorite joke. It's, it's about a desert island again. So this was his favorite joke, and it was especially his favorite joke to tell other pastors. So a man has been on an island for uh, uh, 20-some years. And, and it's one of those islands you only see in cartoons where it's super small and you can like see both sides. It's probably no bigger than this room. And one day a boat comes and he's rescued. And then the guy gets off the boat and says, wow, how long have you been to this island? And he's like, oh, I've been here for 20 years. And he says, he says, come on, let me show you around. And there's you know, there's not much on the island. There's just a couple trees and there's two huts. And he says, hey, what's that hut over there? And the guy says, that's where I go to church. And the guy says, you go to church on the island? That's, that's amazing. What do you do? He says, well, you know, every, every seventh day I go in and I sing some songs and I pray and I recite scripture and I go and I meet with God. He says, wow. He says, well, there's, there's a second hut over there. What's that hut? And the guy just shakes his head and rolls his eyes and says, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> My dad thought that was like the funniest joke as a pastor. Um, and we've all been there. Like, there are certainly reasons to not go to a church anymore. There are certainly reasons to say this place is not the best for me. But we also know maybe we've done this or maybe we've seen other people do this. People leave a church when the conflict right starts up. And if you miss that conflict, you're missing a really important part of what there is about being at church, learning how to be gentle amidst conflict. There are plenty of times where um, uh, I've had conflict with people, maybe even in this room, not like serious conflict, but like disagreements and sitting down and talking and, and, and sharing and um, learning to listen to one another stepping on each other's toes and having to ask for forgiveness or, or uh, uh, saying something embarrassing and being like, oh, I got to go back and, and face up to the fact that I said that. And that's a really important part of um, being at church. Um, on the other side of that violence in the world because of scarcity is the abundance of this table. And each week is a cycle. We come to the table and we acknowledge God's abundance and, and we acknowledge the holy meal of Jesus. And then we leave, we go out into the world and we do work and we tell other people about this message of abundance. And then when it gets too much, we come back to the table every week. Father Richard Rohr, who um, is uh, a Franciscan friar and writer, talks about the most important, the most important of Jesus' practices that we see is what he calls table fellowship, coming to the table with people who are unlike him and, and opening the table, extending it to people who are not welcome by others and, and learning to eat with people. And he's constantly accused of the table of, of like messing up the table. He's constantly, you invited the wrong people. You ate too much. Your, your disciples drank too much. Um, why did you invite them? They're unclean. They're not, they're not allowed at the table. And, and that's, that's a, a recycled theme in the gospel. And so 
So this message of abundance that we come here to every Sunday is, is, should be an important thing for us as well. I'm going to share another aspect of my teaching in my classroom. I'm going to share one uh, test question. So every summer, uh, me and, and the other social studies teachers get together and we talk about textbooks and um, you know, what movies we're going to show, like real nerd stuff, and, and we, we sit down and go over the test and talk about how we're going to teach it. Now, when I show you this test question, this is the test question that every year for like the last five years, I have begged them, please take this off the test. It's so wrong. It's so misguided, and it has really dangerous complications. What's the word I'm looking for there? Implications, implications thank you. It has really dangerous implications for the world. Uh, when you see it, remember that I teach in a special education program, so the, it's a multiple choice question, and the first two distractors are um, just ridiculous. But, but here's the question. What's the problem with the question and the answer? C. What's the belief about the world that we have that this is a question on the test, that this is part of California, the liberal states? Uh, children are a problem. Too many poor children. I, um, I asked them over and over, I'm like, please, can we take this off? off the test because, because there's, a, there's a huge background here that we have to talk about. Um, overpopulation is only an issue because there's not enough resources in those places and we could look at countries like our own going places and taking resources from what we call developing nations. The United States is 5% of the world's population and if you look at things like oil and minerals and water, you, you know, the, the, our use of that is way more than 5%. So saying that the problem with developing nations is that they're overpopulated is crazy because we're using more resources than they are per capita. And, and this is basically saying there are too many children too many poor people, too many people of color, too many people in Africa, which has been sort of ravaged over and over by Europeans and Americans. And this is that message of scarcity that the, the world teaches. And this isn't like, um, this isn't uh, a Republican or a Democrat thing because, because you often hear environmentalists talk this way on the Democratic side of the aisle, and they'll talk about uh, oh, we just have to get people to stop having children. Um, this has like genocidal implications if a, if a ruler was to really run with this. You can, you can look at like Bolsonaro in Brazil or, uh, you know, talking about the indigenous people who are just taking up too much space. And, and um, it's really, really terrifying that that's, that's where... Uh, that's this question, and that's, that's where we're at. So I ask them all the time, say, please, can we, can we 
get rid of this question. The United States saying that um, poor countries are using up too much resources, kind of like this picture here. I don't know if anyone's ever seen this, but their shirts should be switched. Yeah. I love this, this graphic from uh, this graphic from the Catholic worker. The works of mercy, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to give, give drink to the thirsty, visit the imprisoned, care for the sick, and bury the dead. The things that Jesus said, you know, we'll find him when we, when we go places and, and do these things. And like, like Nicole shared a couple weeks ago, uh, Mountainside is, does a really good job at a lot of these things, and that's amazing. Can talk about the work people do, and 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 um, and that's just really exciting to see. Uh, what's hard about you know Josh shared last week that uh, the church is a politic. It's a group of people with um, a set of beliefs who are who are living into uh, living into this reality and 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 and. and and what's hard about the message at the table is that um, extending the table is not the same thing as like a sentimental universalism. It's not like, hey, we're all the same, you know, let's, let's get together at the table. Like, Paul talks over and over about people doing the table wrong. And, 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 and at one point in Corinthians, he even says like, um, you're, you're so wrong about the table, it's actually making you physically sick, and some of you have died. I don't even want to know what that's about. <laughs> so scary. Um, and so that's, again, a place for us to have conflict and practice conflict with one another. What's the right way to do this table? Who are we, who are we going to bring to the table with us? How are we going to... Um, uh, how are we going to practice this holy meal together and... and, and how are we going to preach the abundance of God and, and, and how are we going to invite more and more people? How are we going to extend this table the same way that Jesus did um, in a way that stays true to these works of mercy that the church does? Paul gives, uh, in Romans, he gives, kind of talks about the way we should treat one another. And I think this is true of, of of the way we should treat one another uh, at all times and in conflict. Let your love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. I realize that I'll just pause right there. I realize that a lot of what I share um, this morning sounds hopeless, and uh, I, I don't mean that to be the the case. That this is it's just that happens with me. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, rejoice in hope. We are the people of the resurrection. And when we come to this table, we're, we're remembering the resurrection, and we are saying that this is the reality we want to live into, and this is the, this is the, um, this is, this is what our message is to the world. This is what we invite people into. 
rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and extend hospitality to strangers. Amen. Amen. This is what a gentle church looks like. This is what a gentle politic looks like, and this is what um, this is what we take with us, carry with us from the table and into the world um, every day, every week. And it's amazing to see um, our children, you know, making art related to the the um, related to the fruits of the spirit and. And, and bringing their lives into this place and talking about their pets. This is my pet. I'm learning how to be gentle with this pet. And then hopefully I'm going to learn how to be gentle with my brothers and sisters and my parents and my classmates. It's amazing. You know, on March 7th, we have um, a garden day for children in the garden. We're inviting people in to see the abundance of the garden. And share with them how you, you can do this at your house. You can come and do this here. That's, that's just an amazing practice. I'm so excited for that. And we're meeting after church about that, which is why it's on my mind. This quote from Dorothy Day, I was reading this week. She says, we cannot love God unless we love each other. And to love, we must know each other. And that, again, the conflict of the church, coming to church with people and getting to know them. A lot of times you find out, oh, I know you, and now it's even harder to love you. What happened? To love, we must know each other. We know God in the breaking of bread, and we know each other in the breaking of bread. And we are not alone anymore. Thanks be to God. Heaven is a banquet, and life is a banquet, too. And that's what's declared at the table, the banquet of heaven and the banquet that is this life, because Eucharist is thanksgiving, giving thanks for the world that God has created, giving thanks for Jesus, giving thanks for the work that we have to go do. It's easy to, uh, again, I know I shared a lot of hopeless things about the world, but it's easy to get weighed down by those things rather than prayerfully and with one another realizing that there's so much work to be done and rejoicing that God has called us out of that darkness, right, to go do that work. We cannot love God unless we love each other, and to love we must know each other. We know God in the breaking of bread, and we know each other in the breaking of bread, and we are not alone anymore. Heaven is a banquet, and life is a banquet, too. So what I said at the beginning is that our world is in a constant state of violence because too many people believe messages of fear and scarcity, believe there's not enough. Our job as Christians is to testify to the world the abundance that is revealed by God at the Eucharist table through Jesus. Amen. I made it to 25 and the kids aren't here yet. Um, so I guess after I said no to Josh about giving this message, I just want to say thank you for asking me to come. I really enjoyed it.